don't fuck with the lords of hell. Don't fuck with the babysitter. What you think about my little pants? My pants are too small. I got a little pants. Short Pants Movie Hour. I'm Dave. And I'm Seth. And uh, this time, if uh, you couldn't tell from the uh, the opening clip, we're watching, or we have watched, Adventures in Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting, 1987's Adventures in Babysitting, follows the misadventures of four, uh, five suburban youths <laughs> as they navigate the urban landscape of Chicago on a night in the late 80s. All right, Seth, Adventures in Babysitting. Yes, sir. So, uh, as we do in this podcast, we talk about um, movies from our, our childhood, things that we watched as we were kids, mm-hmm. what we liked, what we didn't like, how it holds up, and uh, I'm going to have to start off straight off the bat Yeah. and uh, let everyone know that I'm the one that recommended this movie you for did, us yes. to cover on the podcast, okay. and I thought this was a different movie. I thought we were watching Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. <laughs> Um, Which cracks me up because when you said Adventures in Babysitting, I was like, hell yeah. Because I, I literally, this is another one of those, and, and, and we, this may happen with almost every movie that we review, but this is another one that my family had a dubbed copy of because yeah. we dubbed a lot of movies. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I watched, this is, This was one of my favorites. I mean, we watched this all the time. I've seen this movie, you know, easily 15 times as right. a kid. So when you said, yeah, let's watch Adventures in Babysitting, I was like, hell yeah, it sounds great. You were thinking of... Don't, Don't tell, tell mom, mom the big Christina Applegate. Yeah, which shares an actor. Right, right, right. Keith Coogan from this is also in that. He played the brother Brad in, in this movie. Right, and I think I saw this. I saw Adventures in Babysitting once. Okay. Um, when I was a child. Right. Uh, Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Played hundreds of times <laughs> at our house, and um, I, I thought that's what we were watching. Well, so I, I'm, I, I'm actually glad that it wasn't. And there's nothing wrong. Well, first of all. We will this watch. whole podcast, this whole podcast is based around watching. This is what surprised me when you said that because this whole podcast is based around watching movies from the eighties, and I'm pretty sure that you say don't tell, uh, don't tell mom. Babysitter said that was like ninety. I gotta say it was ninety three, something like that. I don't yeah. know. I have to look it up. But it was very early. It was early nineties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that was after um, that, that Christina Applegate became like a huge star through Married with Children. Right. You know, she was all over the place, but she was a little. On the mature side at that point, she was she might have been nineteen years old or something at that point. Well, the interesting fact is that she actually, uh, what I'm told, I don't know, I read this. It's, it's, it's a funny little coincidence. I when I was doing my research on this, she actually, you know, in 1987. So when the production was going on for this guy, I guess called '86, uh, Christine Applegate interviewed or you know uh, had auditioned, auditioned, thank you, auditioned for the part of the younger do- uh, sister Sarah. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. So she. So um, and of course that, that that ended up being um, uh, played by Maya Burton, uh, wonderfully so. I thought she was great in, in this movie. But but yeah, we haven't even started talking about the movie yet. So, but, right. Yeah. I but just it's not. That's no dishes are done, man. I just wanted to have a mea culpa, uh, and and let everyone know that I um, that you're an idiot. I'm dumb. Uh, but I'm glad we. But thankfully so because I, like I said this for me this was oh yeah beautiful choice Dave that's great because this was one of my favorites. Absolutely wonderful. So yeah, it came out in 1987, and coincidentally, it actually was released on uh, I have on uh, July 3rd. Right, that's what I that's what I found. Uh, as well. So we we have just now passed the 30th anniversary 
So congratulations to uh, you know Chris Columbus, the director, and it's his directorial debut. It was, yeah. yeah. After having written um, Gremlins and Goonies, right, right, two of my others, you know, from that are just wonderful tops, and that's what made what I like this movie so much is that even though he didn't write it, he obviously influenced it very heavily, and, and his directorial debut was wonderfully done. Right. I mean, yeah. Just, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself here probably a little bit, but I mean, this movie as a kid, I loved it for a lot of reasons, but it was. It was it was a little zany. Uh, there was probably also so it was 1987. We were eight years old. So by the time it came on video, it might have been nine. Right. You know. um, but the it, it really really was was great for that kind of age. Because um, we would have been about the era, age of Sarah, the youngest daughter. So in this movie, so we, we, I said four, and then I correct myself and yeah. said five, because you have uh, the babysitter played by mm-hmm. Elizabeth Shue. Right. Um, you also have um, the child that she is supposed to be babysitting. Sarah, she's the youngest daughter. Uh, her brother, um, who is Brad, and then Brad's best friend Daryl. Yeah. And the fifth is Brenda. <laughs> Brenda, the forgotten Brenda. Forgotten Brenda. She serves as a bit of a MacGuffin on the, on this, I guess you could say. She is. Well, she's the um, she's the trope of the uh, dorky friend. Yeah. Uh, not just trope of an eighty of the eighties movies, but it continues today. There's always the. I mean, yeah. if you watch Stranger Things on Netflix, there's the the um, I forget it, what her name now. The character in Stranger Things who uh, it gets captured in the in the pool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, plays yeah. that, and yeah. I think they're 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 homaging that yeah. trope. Yeah. Well, um, thankfully, thankfully, thankfully for Brenda, she does not end up eaten by an alien. Right. Uh, but it's played play, played by uh, Penelope Penelope Ann Miller. I don't think you mentioned that. So I did not. Yes. Thank you for the thank you for <laughs> before the she was a huge name in the early nineties. She was Brenda. She was Brenda. <laughs> what Elizabeth Shue at this point had already been in um, Karate Kid. Yeah. Um, and was about to become Jennifer in the Back to the Back Future, to the Future two. Two, right. and three. And three, yeah. yeah. Uh, so she had already. Uh, uh, I will. Have so, all right. So, so going back, I guess our, our general format is talk about it, how how we saw it, uh, what what our memories are from when we watched it as a child, and then kind of talk about it with what what we you know saw it as an adult, you know, so many years later. You said you saw this only once, maybe. Probably? Yes, maybe once as a kid. Right. So obviously you didn't remember what the hell movie it was. Nope. But <laughs> did you remember any any feelings that you had from watching this movie as a kid? Uh, I remember that I have a mega crush on Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. Um, mostly from Karate Kid. Yeah. Uh, Allie. I mean, even I mean, I watch Karate Kid once a year, huh. even now, and Allie still, you know, uh, gives me a funny feeling uh, <laughs> in my tummy. <laughs> Uh, and so watching Maybe Elizabeth Shue, yeah, <laughs> jumping around her room um, before she, you know, she's prepping for her date. Um, I, I remember Elizabeth Shue if I remember nothing else. But I also remember the, you know, sort of the, the I don't know if it's zany. It's not a real, you mm-hmm. know, but it, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot that happens to these to these kids on, on this night in well, Chicago. I, I saw some. You, know, you, you mentioned that um, before. You know, I guess when when we selected the movie that um, that you had this thing for for Elizabeth Shue and. I read something recently that where she was, I don't know, maybe some second-rate magazine that did this poll or whatever, but she was actually rated like the most beautiful person from the 1980s really? range, which was kind of funny. But, you know, the one of the first choices when this movie was, was drafted up, and I shouldn't say first choices, because I think when this movie came through, the concept of this movie was around like from the 1960s. Yeah, this, this, uh, was, this was revisited yeah. by Chris Columbus, right? Um, because it had, I think it was in the late 60s or in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. This concept and it, was it uh, uh, Fonda, Jane Fonda? Yes, that Jane what Fonda. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. um, was originally considered for the for the role right, back, right. back then. Yeah, yeah, but when it, um, 
Columbus came back around, I guess, and, and kind of rebooted this idea uh, and was kind of, you know, put at the helm of it. I think one of the original uh, thoughts for, for, for the leading role was uh, actually um, uh, Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald, yeah, from, from 16 Candles, who, who was mega hot at the time, 16 Candles and uh, the whole Brat Pack movement. Um, so she was hot, but you know, that would would have been a little different choice. I'm sure she would have played it very well, but certainly wouldn't have given you the same feeling. I don't well, think. No, <laughs> Molly Ringwald. Tell me. Molly Ringwald is my second crush. Oh, really? From the '80s, but they are two different. They're two different crushes. That's pretty different, right? Yeah. I mean, Molly Ringwald is a crush because of the character she plays. Oh, okay. Elizabeth Shue is just straight <laughs> knockout. Visual, yeah, I mean, visual, just straight visual. knockout, and so you would lose a little bit yeah. of that. Um, you, you sort of like. Molly Ringwald, you get that like, wow, she'd be really you know, mm. like the perfect girlfriend. Right. Elizabeth Shue is just straight yeah. hot. I mean, <laughs> so no, no other way, not to you know. Yeah. But that's just the, the so. Anything else from when you from memories? I mean, once you realize what movie this was. Well, no, and, and Keith Coogan because yeah. he's the um, he's the common denominator here. He's yeah. in both movies. Right. A little older, uh, obviously, and don't tell mom. Uh, he plays a, a, char- a character called Kenny, uh, <laughs> but I remember Keith Coogan in both. Um, and it's mainly the actors, yeah, not yeah. so much the, you know the, the, the events that transpire, but more the more the actors. Yeah, um, which I thought was really well cast. I mean, you know, Anthony Rapp, who played the the, the you know kind of bonehead, uh, you know, super id kind of character uh, Daryl. He, he's just you know living by the moment and, right. and just has so many great one liners. Plays it plays it top notch. Um, well, he's a he's a um, an acclaimed um, theatrical. Actor, he does a lot in theater. Oh, yeah. uh, he was in the first run of Rent. I mean, so he's known. He was, oh, right, he was right, the right. lead in Rent. And if you don't know Anthony Rapp, he's Tony in Dazed and Confused. Right. One of the, he's, he's Woodward or Bernstein. He's one of the nerds that, with that Adam, blew Adam me Goldberg. Away. Yeah. I mean, when you go from Daryl to that guy in Dazed and Confused, which was only what uh, not much longer four, later, yeah, three years later, something like that. I mean, it was not long after. I, I, it, they don't look anything like him. I mean, they just you know no. totally different characters. I guess he, he contributed to his acting, but. For me, this movie, it, it it was a lot of fun rewatching. But my memories as a kid was, I mean, this was a movie we watched over and over, and I, surprisingly so. Um, but I think it had to do with the fact that we were preteen when when I had this movie on DVD, and these guys were, you know, I didn't identify so much with the you know, one that was probably close to our age group, in my the uh, Sarah, the sister, um, but larger with you know the 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 Brad and Daryl. You know that As, were, well, probably could beaming after the older, you know, right. babysitting girl. And, exactly. You know, you're in that preteen movement, watching, you know, and we can talk about this. I think probably a little bit more in greater detail. But these kids from the suburbs <laughs> that are suddenly cast into, you know, the depths of a city, right. and really having to mature pretty quick. You know, and so there's probably some of that coming of age. But it was also because of the, uh, you know, it's probably one of the first PG-13 movies that that we really watched a whole lot. You know, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But uh, it was a lot of fun just because it was a little edgy, you know, at that age level. But I was amazed at how many scenes that I could remember, you know, by line, you know. Going really? Up, even oh, even oh, All these years later, absolutely. The the tones and inflections, it all just came racing. I mean, I watched this movie a lot, a lot. So, yeah, th- this was a lot of fun. And, and, and for me, uh, you know, had that, 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 that feeling about it that it was just kind of that edgy, pushy, but, you know, snappy kind of uh, comedy. Uh, slash, you know, semi-action, if you will. 
So this uh, was a nice trip down memory it lane. It was, but it, it, for me, as an adult, it brought back the same feelings. And I, 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 it wasn't a whole lot lost, which for me was refreshing after the last one. Right. Last, last podcast we did was Willow, and it had a totally different effect where, where I was like, I wish I'd never rewatched it again. Yeah, it ruined, it ruined it a lot. It ruined of everything about it. Yeah. Now we got to, you know, it was kind of a nice reset for me to say, yes, this was exactly like I remembered it. It was beautiful, and it was snappy. It was fun. It was, it was really well directed. Uh, yeah, I thought you know, for, for a directorial debut, it, it was just awesome. Well, and it's about. crazy, too, thinking about the, you know, comparing Willow and, and, and this is, you know, Chris Columbus, he, he's an accomplished director now. I mean, right. He's done, you know, he did both The Home Alones. Yeah. He's done, he did the first two Harry Potters. I mean, the guy has a, <clears throat> he's had a couple misses in there. But for the most part, he's had a lot of hisses, uh, oh, yeah. hits. And you can't, and Ron Howard does Willow. That might be one of his few his few misses. I know he's yeah. had some, you know, not quite the, the level of success recently um, that he's had in the past. But he also has a pretty accomplished um, filmography. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, this is a, it's, I had not remembered much of this from being um, from watching it as a child. Still, um, still enjoyed enjoyed the the hell out of it. I had, yeah. I had a good time watching this, and I can totally get why kids would would dig this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, but it's fun for kids. It's also, I think, fun for adults. I mean, there's yeah. the, the the witty one-liners, the the, the, the banter that goes back. Well, I think forth. Chris Columbus has may have that. He might be one of the best directors at that. If you think about his movies, if you think about Home Alone, Home Alone was fun for adults mm -hmm. as much as it was for kids. Yeah. Harry Potter movies, same same thing. So it's what never seen. Well, <laughs> I, I have I, As much as I poo-pooed it when I was younger, my siblings finally did um, convince me, and I, I'll have to say I'm a, a fan of those. Yeah. Um, but he, he does uh, Goonies. Goonies is, you know, my, my dad likes watching Goonies mm -hmm. and Gremlins, too. Gremlins is my dad loved. Yeah. Um, and so it was one of those ones. So I think he does this really well. He mm -hmm. does this, this you know, bifurcated <laughs> style movie. Well, well, let's get into some of that, because I think this is one of those movies where I mean, it's, it, there's not necessarily a whole lot to say beyond, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, in the movie as a whole. But when you start diving into it, there are a lot of neat little aspects uh, that came up when watching and kind of wondering why they made certain choices and then doing a little bit of research on it that, that, that really struck me. And, and the first one, I think we'll start off with a clip, and it has to do with our, our good buddy Thor, who plays a very large role in this movie as, as one of the uh, you know, kind of underlying undertones from the youngest sister, her obsession, uh, Sarah, her, her obsession with Thor. Let's start off with the, with the clip. Sarah, did you take my clear sill again? I ran out of brown. Great. How am I supposed to cover up my zits? You want some orange? Can't use paint. What do you think? I figured my best one yet. Look, I got the sun rays and the cape and the special helmet. Great. You wasted all my carousel and another picture of Thor. Thor's my hero. Thor's a homo. <laughs> <laughs> when that when that line hit, rewatching it 30 years after the fact, I still died. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's just the way it's delivered, and it's funny. It, it, it's it, they're, they're, they they go on chasing each other. I mean, it's, a, it's an older brother, younger si uh, sister kind of routine and then they chase each other through the house right as the, the, the babysitter's showing up and, and Brad's uh, crush on, on, on Chris well, and, and Brad's, Brad's four, 15 14, he 15 he plays um, well he would have been he plays 15 he plays 15 the actor, and, and actor would have been about 16 I think at the time of filming Chris the babysitter is supposed to be, supposed to be 17. 17 she's supposed to be 17 and actually I thought it was kind of interesting because they don't really announce that until later in the movie um, but you know the uh, 
what was it? She she would have been like twenty. She was in her twenties. Yeah, she would have been twenty two, twenty three, easy at the time of production. And she played very mature. I mean, the the, yeah. the, the character played very mature. A mature seventeen, but that one surprised me when they finally said, you know, she's seventeen. Right. Oh wow, you know, and actually, <laughs> I, had, I had to kind of question that a little bit because her her boyfriend that she's she's you know uh, pining over at the beginning um, is it. it He's a good bit older, or at least you think so. He play, played by Bradley Whitford, which we should say is Billy just, Madison. Yeah, you know, we all probably know her better, or know him better as Eric, Eric. from <laughs> Billy Madison, who plays like a you know, complete asshole in every movie he played up until you know West Wing, I think. Yes. Um, it, 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 but <laughs> he's great in it as well. But he would have been, and I think he's probably actually playing somebody that's in his twenties. And I had to look that up. I was like, what? Well, hell, this movie takes place in Chicago. What's the age of consent here that we're talking about? You had a lot of movies that did that kind of, you know, and a lot of songs, a lot of a lot of uh, pop, pop culture, you know, where they're you know singing about sixteen year olds and, and and you know everything else. It wouldn't have been out too out of place, but the age of consent, ladies and gentlemen, is seventeen. I had to look that up in Illinois. So technically, they were okay, you know. When she sure. when she's uh, at the end of the movie, she's batting around with the uh, you know junior in college. And, you know, <laughs> they go to the frat. She obviously has a thing for older, but but she she was actually about the same age as Bradley Whitford at the time. But they played a character that was about six years difference, which I thought was kind of interesting. But going back, okay, so so Thor's a homo. So Thor, uh, when the I read when the original. The screenplay was put in front of Chris Columbus, the director. Uh, Sarah's character had not an obsession with Thor. She had an obsession with He-Man and She-Ra. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so when Chris Columbus got hold of it, he didn't know who the hell He-Man was, which actually 1987, I think, was the same year. Didn't we talk about peak He-Man in the first episode? We did. Episode? It was peak He-Man. It was really close to peak He-Man because it was about the same year uh, that Dolph Lundgren's movie oh, version came out. And so... Chris Columbus must have been living under a rock. He had no idea who the hell he and she were, and, but he was a huge comic book guy. I think that even before he went into movies, he wanted to. Be, he originally wanted he to become an artist, an artist, a comic yeah, artist. He for, said for was, Marvel. And I think he was quoted as saying, "It was too lonely a lifestyle." Right, and right. So he decided to go. He wanted to go to direction. And so he's like, "Well, who the hell is he, man?" And they're like, uh, "It's like the biggest character for kids today." And they're like, "Nah, screw that. Let's go with Thor." Because I remember at the time when the movie came out, I'm like, well, Thor, that's an interesting choice because it wasn't even a cool comic hero in, in 1987, 88. No, and I remember getting some Thor comics in, the, like, 90, 91. Right. But it wasn't – I mean, that was it was a very obscure, obscure – not obscure. Thor, Thor's been around for a while. He's been around forever, but he was not – He was not the cool but, one. Yeah, I mean, if you went, like, Wolverine or something, somebody would know. Wolverine was cool. Thor. Who Ghost Rider kind yeah, of. there's no, you know, eight-year-old girls running around drawing pictures – of Thor left and right with her brother's clear set. I mean, <laughs> this you was, are correct. This was a little obscure at the time, but now, when literally every single movie that's made today is based around a comic book character, uh, Thor being one of them, it makes a lot more sense. Right. So it was kind of funny. I remember as a kid being kind of thrown off by this, you know, infatuation with Thor. And nowadays, it, it just it feels rather a place. Correct. Yeah. Correct. You are correct. <laughs> Sorry. Mostly because we were, like you said, because we we hit. This Marvel, this upswing of Marvel, and especially with the Thor movies being wildly popular, yeah, um, and the Loki, the Iron Man coming out of it, yeah, it it, it actually um, played really well. This watching, I can see how that would <laughs> throw you <laughs> off in the eighties. Yeah, um, I wonder, I wonder what it did for the the sales of Thor, uh, <laughs> Thor comics. I, I I don't think it got a bump at all. It <laughs> this movie, let's let's be honest, this movie was. While while I love that you saw it once, and you you probably represent a much larger majority of the people that were out there 
looking at the numbers on it, I think it did about thirty-four point three million at the box. My budget office. is seven million. Yeah, I mean, it, it made money. It, it made a little not, coin. It was not a no blockbuster. No, I think it's opening weekend. It ranked ninth. Yeah, I mean, it, it pulled about two million, which today seems like hey, it should be way lower, but at the time that that gets you in the top ten. But this was not a big blockbuster. Um, so, so yeah, it didn't. It didn't ride. Thor did not ride the adventures in babysitting bump that maybe it should have <laughs> <laughs> until thirty years after the fact. Um, but anyway, so go, going back to the movie, I guess one one other item that I guess that, that really it played well as a kid, and it was one of the the scenes when I talk about remembering lines as they were coming out, the ones that actually seemed like I mean like perfectly placed in my memory. Uh, largely, and, and, and today I think there's probably still some of the better scenes in the whole, the whole movie, is this character of Brenda. Okay, so, so the whole movie, again, is, is, is really they, the only reason that they leave the, the Lily White suburbia and safety net of suburbia to go into this dangerous city is to chase after Brenda, who ran away from home, uh, as she had been threatening to do for some time, apparently. And she finally ran away. She, she ends up at a bus station but doesn't know where to go from there. And she's surrounded by lunatics. And so while we, we have to constantly be reminded while the movie's playing on why these kids are even in the city to begin with, they kind of snap back and forth and show Brenda at this bus station. And to me, those are some of the best scenes of the whole movie. So we're just going to play a couple clips from that. Uh, let's start off with the early set to, where she's explaining where she is over the phone to Chris uh, and why she needs to, to be found so much. Chris, I'm begging you. It's really scary here. I've just seen three people shoot up a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. Get out of my house! <laughs> you just moved! <laughs> that scene, it kills me. I love that. <laughs> I love that scene so much that I clipped uh, just a, an ISO. Of, uh, yeah. Get out of my house! <laughs> Which... It's going to make an appearance from, from now well, until we, we I could, stop I could listen to that over and over and over again. I mean, I love that whole thing, but, okay, so the knock, knock, knocking, if you're not sure, she's in a phone booth. The kids, okay? are, the actually, kids are having a sleepover. If that guy was still alive and had that same voice, you know, it, let's just say he was around. I, I, would, I would put him up in my own house, free of charge. I'd feed him. Let him say that just if he if he promised to think that it was his house, so that way every time I came home from work, I hear, "Get out of my house." <laughs> that would be well worth the coin. Someone brings <laughs> someone brings Pepsi and, and, and not Coke to the holiday party. Get out of my house. <laughs> just keep that out of my Jehovah's Witness. What did you say? Get out of my house. Okay. I love it, love it. Okay, so, <laughs> so the, the rest of the movie, though, they, they bounce back to her a little bit. She, but at one point, uh, she, she actually has her, her glasses stolen. Right, but she, she falls She falls asleep. Falls right asleep. Then. Yeah, in front of the There's TV a homeless, yeah. homeless woman sitting next to her. Yeah, <laughs> and she looks over, sees that Brenda's uh, glasses are, are, are you know, not being watched after. Felt that it was a lucky day in her book, you know. <laughs> Here's some free glasses. So she takes the glasses. And so for the rest of the time, she can't see. Brenda's wandering around the bus station. She can't see. Uh, and, and in the next clip, she's, she's looking for or just for trying to find her way around, trying to find a row of glasses. And uh, she comes across what she thinks is a kitten. Oh, it's a kitten. Here, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. Hello. Hello. Oh, what's the matter? You got lost? Run away from home. Drop it. What? Put the animal down. Why? We're gonna kill it. 
What? You monsters, why would you want to kill a poor defenseless little kitten? <laughs> this ain't no kitten, kid. That's a jumbo-sized sewer rat. That was our good friends at the Port Authority. <laughs> Brenda's having a rough, a rough go of things. On the old rat patrol. I'm surprised it didn't gnaw her thumb off. <laughs> and I don't know what it was about that scene, but that was like one of those defining memories I had. Was that a jumbo sauce sewer rat? You know, like, I yell at my kids when they pick up a small animal. That's not a kitten. Can we keep it? And then I break out the stick. <laughs> go inside. And then finally... What if it gets in the plumbing? Get well, <laughs> a little bit later on, they sneak back there again. And, of course, by this point, she's getting a little hungry. But she didn't bring any cash. She's not a very... Let's just say that Brenda did not plan her escape very None well. of these kids are very street-wise. Yeah, like, we, we grew up in a rural area, right. to mind you. But we also had parents who grew up... Your parents grew up in the suburbs. Yes. Yeah. My parents did, but I had family that grew up in the, on the mean streets. Yeah. And so... I had family that made sure that we knew what the mean streets were like, <laughs> right. um, and so you'd think you're living, you know, in the you, you could tell the difference between tell a, the a difference. kitten and a and a sewer. Yeah, yeah, even growing up in the middle of bumfuck, like <laughs> so. Anyway, so continue. So, yeah, so what I was gonna say is that <laughs> for somebody who is 17, mind you, and from the suburbs, who plans an escape route to the bus station, didn't bring any cash with her, right? And so she's sitting at, and I don't, I don't, she didn't even have money for a bus ticket, apparently. I don't know what she was planning on doing at the bus station. Well, she just needed to get out of that house. Getting by on her Penelope Ann Miller looks, Maybe I that guess. was, that was her dad. Yeah, get but if, out of my house! <laughs> yeah, Sorry. She had no other choice. <laughs> so, when she first calls Chris at the beginning of the movie to tell her she's ran away, and, and didn't, uh, yeah, I should say, didn't spike her, her mother-in-law's tab of Drano, as, as, uh, as, as she was, was predicting <laughs> that she would do. That's right. The whole thing came back. The whole reason they were in the city to begin with and going through all this trouble was because she didn't have money for a cab fare, which cost how much? $40. She didn't bring $40 with her from her for her escape. And so she didn't, apparently didn't have, it, have any money with her because later on she's getting hungry. And she goes up to a hot dog vendor, which I guess was just hanging around at the bus station, and wants a hot dog. So let's see how, how her little world works around this problem. Uh, those are hot dogs, right? Yeah. Want one? Mm, yeah, I'd love one. That'll be two bucks. Check. Yeah, but it's a good check. See, Chris's mom wrote it to Chris because Chris bought her something. I can't remember what. Then I bought Chris some press-on nails. I gave Chris the difference, and she wrote the check over to me. So I'll write the check over to you. You keep the difference, and I'll, I'll take the hot dog. So you got a pen? Get out of here. Wait! I'm starving. You'd rather throw it away than give it to me. I work on a cash-only basis. But it's a perfectly good check. No! I'll make it very clear. <laughs> you slip me the cash, and I'll slip you the wiener. But I don't have any cash. Then I don't have a wiener! <laughs> as, as, let me tell you, as a, as a nine-year-old or eight-year-old when I first saw this movie, that line killed. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't let you uh, in on this, but um, this is now part of the collection. You slip me the cash, <laughs> and I'll slip you the wiener. How many times that yeah. the line has been Combo's like, you slip me the cash, and I'll slip you the wiener. Get out of my house! <laughs> that's an interesting confrontation that we have right there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that one, though, that, that's his place. So, I mean, for me, watching this thing again, and as a child, the, the Brenda scenes killed. They are hilarious. I mean, they're just so well-written, well-acted, well-casted. 
Uh, and then the other part that, that, that kind of hit me now today versus when I was younger that I don't think I had a whole lot of appreciation for when I was younger, but the soundtrack was killer. It, well, and so I wrote in my notes, um, so while I enjoyed this, yeah. I don't have quite the memories that you do. Okay. Of the, I just don't have, the, I don't have any of the memories that you do because I <laughs> thought it was another movie. Um, but I, while I enjoyed it, I thought there was some things that were a little off. And one, I, while I personally liked the music, um, I'm trying to understand why they went the way they did with the music. With the music, yeah, that was a, that was a little odd too. But I mean, let's just back up real quick and just hit the high notes of the music. Okay, so they, they had live performances by Albert Collins yep. and Southside Johnny. Uh, they also had recorded tracks. The the movie opens with a great little, almost kind of. Um, uh, risky business Tom Cruise version with Elizabeth Shue, right. where she's dancing in her underwear, getting dressed to "Then she, Then He Kissed Me," uh, which was a 1963 hit by the Crystals. Later on, while they're driving through the city, this is a great city cut. They, it's a little odd place. "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones, 1969, and then t- one of my favorite, maybe my favorite Motown hit, "25 Miles" by Edwin Starr. Right. I mean, it's great, great music, well spotted, but. Choices were a little weird. I, I saw that too. What, what was your What was your take on that? Well, and so I mean, it is Chicago. I mean, right. it's supposed to be Chicago. Right. It's filmed filmed in Toronto, um, with the backdrop of it being Chicago. Right. Um, so it is, you know, there's a b- lot of blues, obviously, in mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, and so I didn't know quite. It was like, okay, you already you've established that these kids are really sheltered suburban kids, and I wonder. I, I, I don't, you know, not that it matters all right. that much, but it's just indicative of all kids from the suburbs that they don't know like. Anything yeah. about the the city, like it was probably in, probably in the eighties. You know, <laughs> oh the, yeah, the, the yeah, crime was a lot different. Yeah, I'd say today uh, too. I in, mean, in yeah. certain cities, um, and so where you have Albert Collins, who's you know legendary blues blues musician, which which is for anybody that remembers watching this movie that doesn't really know Albert Collins. Okay, this is the nobody leaves this place without playing the blues. That, oh, that's that's nobody Albert. leaves this place without singing the blues. <laughs> there you go. All right, thanks. That, that's that's Albert Collins, which I thought that made a lot of sense. Chicago blues. Well, he has Albert. one of my all-time favorite songs where he sings, uh, "I ain't drunk, I'm just drinking," uh, which is which is a great blues song and an important distinction to me. To me right, I ain't <laughs> drunk, I'm just drinking. So, so it, yeah, it was very interesting. So it was just sort of like, okay, we know they're going to the city, and I like this music on a personal basis. Right. But how does it fit? I mean, I knew where it fits into the film, but right. How? Yeah. Where were the like? Well, especially for me because. It was interesting. I was, I was browsing the, the movies subreddit uh, on Reddit uh, the other day, and one of the questions that came up that somebody posted was, uh, you know, name a movie where the city itself actually serves as an additional character to the movie. And I didn't really have any thoughts on it at the time, but after watching The Adventures of Babysitting, I was like, oh, well, hell yeah, Chicago really plays, in a sense, because most of it was filmed in Toronto. But, you know, the, the city of Chicago really is a character. Well, and, and, and that's that. Filming in Toronto was yeah. a monetary decision, you know, because of well, tax yeah. credits and this and that, and so they really want this to be Chicago, right. and they do a good job of making it feel Chicago in terms of the uh, subway yeah. and and the blues yeah. and incorporation of the blues yeah. um, into the um, into the movie. Did you read about the the trash pickup though? Yeah, where they uh, that they. Uh, they had a the back alley scene right. where the trash and they, yeah. they came and they took needed the to trash. look like Chicago, so yeah. they, they they dumped a bunch of trash all over the place. Right. But before they could even film the scene, they had come and cleaned it up. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to Toronto. <laughs> Toronto, like my uncle has always said, and I've been there plenty of times. Toronto is the clean New York, um, and it is. I mean, it is 
Yeah, prestige. Not damn Canucks can't keep their hands on no, it. They see trash on the ground. They gotta go clean oh. it up. When the, hey, there's production going plus, on over here. Plus what this, eh? <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, sorry about your trash, eh? <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it, the whole city. Is, it plays such a key role. But then going back, okay, all right. So the then he kissed me. It opens up with that and actually closes with that song as well. That's from the Crystals. The Crystals were a New York vocal group, right? And from the early sixties. Yes. Uh, Give Me Shelter, while a great, wonderful, city, danger kind of song. Okay, it's a Stone song. There's some Britney. And it's about Altamont. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly right. And then 25 Miles, Evelyn Starr. I mean, that's Motown. Yes. The only that's the other group. Right. And we mentioned, a, a, a real quick, Southside Johnny. Southside Johnny was, was playing the live music at the frat house. Southside Johnny, not a big name today, but he was one of the major uh, you know, scenes in the, in the Jersey and they uh, had Barry Park days. I mean, yeah, it yeah. could have been him or Bruce. Right, right, right. Well, thankfully for all of us, it was it's Bruce. Bruce. And not Southside Johnny. But South, it's not Southside Chicago, Johnny. No. <laughs> this, is, this is Jersey, man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it really it did strike me as odd as well. Is that kind of what you were... Yeah, you know? and, and, and the blues thing, I, I didn't... It just... I don't want to say it felt off. Because it felt... Like the babysitting blues? <laughs> right. Or the, yeah. They go with the kids every <laughs> singing the blues. Um, it just felt like... I don't even know if it's pandering. I don't think it's pandering, and it might be pandering, is what I'm thinking of. But it just didn't. What do you mean by that? Like, what, what do you think? Well, what's pandering about it? Because this is actually something that I think a lot of other people felt as well. It's sort know? of the, the lily white nature mm-hmm. of the kids. You know, now they're in the city, and you know, the, there's the black guy stealing a car, and then they enter a blues club, and yeah, it wasn't quite as you know. Mind if we dance with Joe Boots? <laughs> right, you know. right, right, right. It wasn't so much the dangers of Black America. I don't. There, you know, that's an interesting thought because when I was doing a little bit of research on this, I, I, I found actually I should back up. When I was watching the movie as an adult, that was one thing that struck me is that it's not necessarily. I mean, you can say this about on pretty much about every movie that was made back in the eighties, but there's a tangible difference where there's not this subconscious decision to make sure that you don't show a subgroup in a negative light because you might get criticized for as much. And so I thought, man, that this movie could be considered a little bit racist in today's setting. Well, it actually turns out it was considered racist in 1980s setting. Uh, when I was going through, now, I should say that the, the um, you know, you, you go back and you look at Rotten Tomatoes, they showed 75%, somewhere around there, uh, you know, recommended fresh, a lot, you know, mostly from the critics, they, they enjoyed it. But the ones that didn't, uh, and there was a handful, and, and, and I read one review from, from People Magazine, they were really hammering just how racist the movie this was. You had really? The, oh, yeah, yeah. You got these, you got these white, fresh kids from some suburbia, and then they're throw in t- thrown into you know, dark and dangerous you know, city where you have uh, you know, the gang fight on, on the bus, or on, I'm sorry, on, on the L. It was on the elevated train. Um, you got the, the, the black uh, you know, car thieves that, that have a white... Decision board, you know that that's kind of controlling them. They really just saw it, and, and that really surprised me because that seemed like that would be a critique today, more so than than in 1987. But it was around then as well. Well, and then now I think about it, and I was looking at my notes that, um, you know, they, they treated Pruitt. Pruitt's the um, the record driver who right. with the hook, yeah, the hook hand. He was just as big a part of the sc- city scare, uh, this right scary the city. He was the first. You know, handsome, handsome John Handsome Pruitt. John Pruitt. <laughs> right. Um, with a hook hand. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes yeah. is when he talks about 
uh, um, Daryl asked if he lost it in Nam, <laughs> and he said you know, he lost it on when a, a truck axle fell on it, but he keeps it in his glove box. And then when he does reach into his glove box to get his his revolver, he's got the revolver in his hook, and that was a, that was a funny scene, but. The record driver to these kids just blue collar in general. Right, they right. are so detached from yeah. from, and that's the way I took it. Reality it was more that it was just anything yep. real and gritty from the city was really off putting. But it, it it was it had less to do, I think, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it had less to do with race as it was just the the gritty. I mean, because if you look at one of the heroes in the movie, was the same carjacker. Right. That they got him into the trouble in the first spot. I mean, he, he comes back and saves the day. Well, so and, and 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 Brad and Sarah, their parents. While the reason they needed that Sarah needed a babysitter was they're attending a, this gala and right. black tie gala, um, which you know even if you're middle class, your parents aren't going to a black tie gala. Right, right, right. Um, so they're definitely on their you know and Oak Park is, oh, a, yeah. is an affluent neighborhood uh, neighborhood in, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of it, and so. You know, thinking yeah. about it in terms of Pruitt, you know, my grandfather was was a handsome John Pruitt type. Granted, without right, right. The, the hook hand, or the handsome part, or, or the handsome, and it been his day maybe. Uh, but he, um, he, you know, he worked in a shop in the inner city, yeah. And and it was a mix of, of white, Latino, black, um, and so we kind of got used to that. But I could see, you know, if you're from, you know, it's more of an indictment on on you know upper mid, upper middle class versus mm-hmm. you know more working class, yeah. than anything. Uh, well, I, I will say that the, the only other part that I, that I really had as kind of like a today versus them uh, change is as a kid, um, I remember the the character of Dawson, Dawson's Garage, who at the end of the day, you know, it's another one of those kind of redeeming things. At first, it's this harsh, you know, grittiness of, of the city, you know, unforgiving. It's $45 for the fee, and you, or it's $50 for the fee, and you only have 45 bucks. Get the hell out. And you come back with 50 and you get your car. And then there's, you know, a nice little scene with him and, and the, the younger sister, Sarah, and she gets him to change his ways because she thinks he is the living embodiment of Thor. Well, he, come, he comes off of the uh, lift. He yeah, comes down, comes and lift. he's got the feathered hair. Yeah, and he's, he's jacked up, and he's got the, the, the blonde locks, and, and she thinks And he's holding a, a sledgehammer. Right, right. So he is literally Thor in her mind. Well, that character, Dawson, was played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. Now, as a kid, I don't know. Vincent D'Onofrio is because the only other major. Thank God our parents didn't let us right, watch right. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. I was watching PG-13 at eight or nine, but I wasn't watching Full Metal Jacket at the same time. But so Vincent D'Onofrio obviously played um, the character of uh, Lawrence. Pyle. I'm sorry, Pyle. Pyle. <laughs> Leonard. Leonard. Leonard Pyle. <laughs> Leonard Pyle. Uh, so so Private Pyle, uh, aka Leonard from Full Metal Jacket. He, uh, and if you want to know how high they stack shit, it's <laughs> right. <laughs> it's pretty high. Yeah, pretty high. So the, the that was the one target. When I figured out watching it again, I was like, "Holy shit, Dawson is Leonard." Yes. You know, and I was like, "That th- you talk about a, a body transformation. I mean, how is that even in the same issue?" Well, it's a whole being transformation. I mean, if you've looked, if you will, well, if, you've, if you've seen Full Metal Jacket, yeah. and you've looked into the crazy eyes oh, yeah. of of Pile, the character Pile. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never get that out of your. Out well, of your I, I don't know. When you watch, when you watch Adventures in Babysitting, and he leans in close to Sarah and says something to the tune of "Look, I ain't bulletproof." You kind of, you yeah, kinda, you, you kind of hear a little bit of piling, a little bit just deep inside those recesses. But the one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was that the release date. I had to look that up. I was like, okay, well, which came first, Adventures in Babysitting? Surely that, and you know, versus versus no, it was actually the other way around. 
Full Metal Jacket was released before Adventures in Babysitting, but only about one week. Yes. Like, these were a week apart. So, Full Metal Jacket came out June 26th of 87. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting, July 3rd. And you look at the, the, the just the, the physical transformation between those two. There had to have been, I will say that, you know, obviously, Pyle was in, and Leonard was in the, the first act of, of uh, Full Metal Jacket. And so, I'm assuming they must have shot that chrono- chronologically. But he was, you know, just a tub of shit. Yeah. You know? And then, then all of a sudden, he's playing Thor? And how is that casting choice he made, you know? But apparently, and this is something I didn't realize either, but Vincent D'Onofrio, he gained the weight specifically for Full Metal Jacket. And this is a little bit, you know, inside and then of he Full used Metal Jacket. And Adventures of Babysitting to get healthy. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. So, so when he <laughs> was on the Full Adventures Metal Jacket. Babysitting workout plan. We know what the... the thing about Full Metal Jacket, though, see, he gained 70 pounds, which I, I believe today still stands as the, for the most weight gained for any role acting in, in at least in a Hollywood major movie. Hollywood movie. Before that, you know, the, role, the, the, the record was 60 pounds. Marlon so. Brando? Oh, that was, no, just, no, that was just Robert De Niro. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> that was accidental. Oh, wait. <laughs> that was over that was the just course, eating. That was just the course eat. of 20 oh, okay. years. <laughs> but, that was just life. Yeah, so, so Robert De Niro gained 60 pounds for Raging Bull. Yes. Of course, that was in the middle of filming. But so... He gained 70 pounds for the role of Leonard, but that was after he was cast. When he was cast, the role of Leonard was actually this, like, scrawny, uh, redneck, hillbilly, you know, just, you know, dipshit. And, and they kind of changed him in, you know. They were like, oh, Well, we can still make him a, a dipshit. Yeah, we'll make him a dipshit, but how about, I think he's slobbish would right. be, you know, a little better. And so they asked him, can you gain some weight? So he put on 70 pounds oh, for this thing. It actually took a toll. He, he blew out his knee on one of the oxygen courses or something like that, blew a bunch of ligaments out. So he had to have surgery on that. And then he lost 70 pounds. He lost the weight to get back into his normal shape. His normal shape was Thor, basically, six foot three, two ten. And he lost those 70 pounds over the course of nine months. Good Lord. Nine months. Yeah. So and he, not just 70 pounds. I mean, he, it, he's Oh yeah. yeah I mean, he's a pretty cut. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, I mean, like I say, six three, two ten. He's, he's fairly trim out of that, too. So, yeah, so he, he, he lost that for the role. And I don't know necessarily for the role. He wanted to do it anyway. But he had a little bit of clout because there was a lot of buzz going around Hollywood from the this, the filming of Full Metal Jacket. And, and they, they cast him in as Thor after that. But I thought that was that was you know, something, of course, I never would have picked up as a kid because I'd never seen Full Metal Jacket. Thank know. God. Yeah, right. You need to be a little older, older for that. And, well, he's Thor in this, and he's uh, you know recently Kingpin in mm-hmm. the uh, Daredevil Netflix series, which is really – Kingpin played heavily in the. There was a Sega Genesis uh, Spider-Man. Oh movie. yeah, yeah. And Kingpin, you know, Kingpin has always been the one of the great. Bad the Punisher guys. too. There was a, there was a there Kingpin was a, is yeah. There yeah. was a Punisher game that I played a lot, and you yeah you get to the Punisher or the uh, Kingpin level. And that was that was tough. And with Daredevil and 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 D'Onofrio plays just a great Kingpin, just mm-hmm. you know this just sort of you know, ultimate mastermind, right, right. crime syndicate boss, yeah. just a great great bad guy. Um, I bet you he's a cool dude to hang out with, though. When he plays these kind of psychos, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to hang out with Kingpin after you've seen his <laughs> dead, soulless anybody eyes. That can, yeah, anybody that can channel that, no, yeah, no, he's not fun at a party, man. That's <laughs> that's not a guy. That, it's just like a Daniel Day Lewis. Like, yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not lighting his farts on fire. Build a butcher. <laughs> it's always built. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's well, a maybe character. he does light his farts on fire. That's how he. <laughs> That's how he stays sane. Burns small children in the process. That's how he finds a happy medium. Yeah. Oh, lighting flatulence. <laughs> <laughs> so, about you, anything else that, that, that kind of came up for you while you were digging through this movie? Um. Well, Keith Coogan's big. Um, 
again from the uh, Don't Tell Mom, the babysitter's dad. Mm. Um, family <laughs> family history, trivia-wise, uh, Keith Coogan um, is big because he's uh, Jackie Coogan's grandson. Um, if you don't know Jackie Coogan, uh, Jackie Coogan is Uncle Fester oh. uh, in the Adams Family okay. um, from the 60s. But before that, Jackie Coogan was the kid in the Charlie Chaplin film. Oh, wow. Um, he was found. He was a, his, his dad was an actor, and um, Jackie Coogan was an early vaudeville and was discovered by Charlie Chaplin. And he's most famous other than Fester, again, for the kid and for something called, um, which is now known as the Coogan Act. Um, he had earned something like three to four million dollars as an actor before 1935 which in today's money I looked up was 53 million dollars um, wow. and his father died uh, he was supposed to get all this money when he turned 21 or 22 he was supposed to get all this money when he and he thought it was being taken care of um, his father dies in a car accident which Jackie was in the car um, there were um, I believe five of them all died but Jackie oh wow Dad dies, and he goes to collect his money six months later. His mom's remarried, and she and the stepfather have spent all the money. And so, if Cali- all of it. All right. On what? Fur coats, <laughs> champagne. And they, 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 they've, they've spent. Well, like and and the manager, the manager um, of the, uh, she married the, the manager of the, of the fortune. So it must be assumed that he was spending it before. Well, that's a lot of whores and cocaine. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's well, in the 1930s. Um, that gets you through a weekend or two. Yeah. So he, he's he's now not uh, – I think he countersues and he ends up getting back $125,000 <laughs> after legal fees. Um, but he, uh, Uncle Fester is a member of the 1st Air Commando Group in World War II, flights glider. Hmm. Um, he dropped uh, British Special Forces behind Japanese lines in the Burma campaign. Um you know, and his uncle Fester. So this always came up as a kid because my dad, my mom was a huge Adams Family fan, mm-hmm. and I loved that show. Um, so my dad always would mention whenever we saw Uncle Fester about the Coogan Act and how now because of him, children are entitled to their money that's supposed to be put into a trust. Oh, okay. um, so the parents or family can't can't take people's now. You know, if we look at uh, famous child actors, and we have uh, say, Corey so Feldman pushing my kid into acting, and, uh, <laughs> steal their damn fortune. Well, it, but look at you know kids, ki- you know, kids left to their own devices. Your, your Corey Feldman's, your Corey Haynes. You know, they get their hands on the money a- after they are twenty two and they right, right. blow it on cocaine and hookers. Um, so it's like you know that's just <laughs> that's like you know, you know famous Hollywood uh, devil is owed his due <laughs> e- either way. Uh, so, uh, but yeah. That was something that, I, and, and um, just always, I've always been uh, was interested in that yeah, yeah. Um, aspect of it. Well, I, I tell you, the, the last thing that really jumped out to me uh, when watching this, and again, it's going back to my memories of it as a kid too, which was one of the things that that, that I liked about it is that it was it, it really kind of pushed the boundaries in politics. I shouldn't have been watching the damn thing uh, because it was rated PG thirteen. Uh, which, by the way, all right, so you, you, you probably well know this, but the, the PG-13 rating came into place in, what, 1984? It was with, um, uh, rumor I heard was um, yes. Raiders of the Lost Not Raising no. Lost, it was the other one. Red Dawn. Was it Red Dawn? Red Dawn. I always thought it was um, Temple of Doom. No, no, ah. no, no. Actually, Temple of Doom was one of the ones that spiked the reasoning for, for PG. Because, because it was rated PG. PG, and yeah. it should have been PG-13. And, yeah, and I remember watching that as a kid, and that's a, that's a good little... Little vignette in there. I remember watching that kid as a kid and being terrified of of, of, uh, of that because when, when when he's reaching into the heart and pulling out the heart, yeah. that scared Kalima. the shit out of me. Kalima. Yeah, yeah, as a six year old or whatever watching that shit, scared the hell out of me. So 
So Red Dawn was the first p- true PG-13 movie. I mean, it was it was spurred on to the MPAA had had to come up with this rating because they didn't want to have anything between PG and R, and so they threw that out. That came out in 1984. This movie was released in 87, and it was PG-13 for some reason we were allowed to watch it. Uh, and I won't judge my parents for that. <laughs> well, they figured you had an older brother, two years older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah he's only pro- yeah, So I mean, I was kind of I was piggybacking them, right. for sure. Yeah. But but the language, the language is a little coarse. But for me, that was fun. It was edgy, right? You know, I mean, when you had well, that whole scene when they're when they're when they're skirting the cat the catwalk, you know, skirting that beam across to escape from the, the chop shop, you know, Daryl's like, you know, you want me to walk across that? You gotta be shitting me. He's right. like, watch your mouth. Watch my mouth. You gotta be shitting me. You know, so like little moments like that. As a kid, you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. But we're watching it again. Okay, you get to the scene. Well, we mentioned this before. There's, there's, there's a. They jump onto the L. They're trying to escape these guys uh, that are, that are chasing them from the chop shop. They jump onto the L train, and they're sitting there. They think they're, they're finally got a little bit of relief. And then that grittiness of the city just steps right back into their reality. And you have two rival gangs come from one side and the other, and they step forward. And there's a little bit of interaction. We have the clip for it here. We'll get off at the next stop. City scum sucker. You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Let me help. That's a blade into the tight and a swift blade into the foot. Fuck with the lords of hell. She pulls the blade out. Don't fuck with the babysitter. Which I always thought <clears throat> that the PG 13 designation was allowed. Yeah. Uh, cl- curse words, shit, damn hell. Right. Uh, maybe not in copious amounts, but you know, relative violence to a certain level. One boob, right? One fuck. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they got away with two. Well, oh, are you gonna tell me? One non-sexual fuck, as well. Ah. It can't be like I'm gonna fuck you. No, that's no good. But you can say this fucking sucks. You can say that, right? So what happened was, is that this so this movie came out '87. About that same time, they'd actually. You know, the, 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 again, the PG-13 rating only came around in 1984, I think it was. Uh, so, But it, they didn't really have those hardline rules set at that point. Uh, so you actually had F-bombs dropped in PG movies. Before uh, they have a PG-13 right. rating. You, you have a, the word fucking big, which yeah. came out about the same time. And as well as in uh, Beetlejuice, which surprised me. I didn't realize that nice Beetlejuice was PG. Model. 
Nice fucking which model. did not sit well with my father <laughs> in the movie theater. Uh, probably because I think it would have been okay had he not grabbed his crotch. Yeah. That one. Hawk, hawk. Yeah, I, I heard all my parents discussing that. Uh, <laughs> one of the best... The best uses, but those were PG movies, okay? So, so this movie came around, and that threw me too, because as an adult, I'm watching this, and, and I'm, I base all of my MPAA knowledge on the movie uh, "Be Cool," the, the the sequel to Get Shorty, where John Travolta says, "You know, you know, you can't have a movie that says you're only allowed one chance at the word fuck," and you know, so I say, you know, to that I say, "Fuck that," and that was like the whole joke, and that's that was the frame. Well, that was 2005 when yes. when, when that movie came out. And, and that framed, I just thought that was always a rule. Well, then you go back and you research, okay, well, you know, it wasn't, it was that rule, but that rule I don't think started until about 2002. Okay. Uh, of the one fuck, of non-sexual. The one, you're allowed one non-sexual fuck before you can, you know, and, and the first use of a non-sexual fuck automatically gets you the PG-13. The second use automatically gets you uh, an R rating, except... They do allow, on a case-by-case basis, if you lobby really hard and you pay the right people, if they say that the overwhelming uh, you know, movie as a whole is not objectionable to the majority of people that would be watching this, and you know, parents with their children, et cetera, et cetera. So recent examples of PG-13 movies with more than one fuck. The, um, um, the King's Speech okay. had, had a couple of them in there. And actually a couple Historical more. Historical drama, probably yeah. easy petition. They, they, they bleeped several more out after that, and nobody's watching this anyway. Team America. <laughs> but let's just let's be honest. None of their 12-year-olds are watching the King's Speech. They, you know, Team America did not make the cut. Uh, the other one that, that, that was real noticeable recently, they had made a lot of waves about it, was um, uh, the one the Matt Damon Mars movie. What is it? Um, uh, the Martian. The Martian, right, right. So it, it opens up, and you get the word fuck. Uh, you know, when he first finds it, he's... he's well, that makes sense. If you think about... Well, you're stranded, you're stranded on fucking on Mars. Mars. Well, and be, these kids are stranded right. on the L train. Right, right, and, right. And, and she counters, you know, don't fuck with the lords of hell. And she counters, yeah. don't fuck with <laughs> the And it was kind of sandwiched together. So I don't know if that played a role into it, but I think it had more to do with the fact that the rule hadn't really been invented yet. But as an adult, I mean, I, I just thought this was always the rule. Watching it back, I had to go back and research this shit a little bit to see why they were allowed to say it twice. But... As a kid, you go back and you're like, oh, that's probably why I like the movie so damn much, because they were saying words that you weren't supposed to say. Well, and it's hard to tell. I mean, Chris Columbus is friends with, with Steven Spielberg. Oh, it's if, you, if you've seen the documentary, this movie's not your rated. It's oh, yeah, all yeah, about yeah. the scam of the MPAA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows why? You know, and I can see that. You know, I'm not, again, I'm not a creep. I know that there's certain things mm-hmm. I don't want my kids to see, so it is nice right. to have that guideline. Right, right. I, and, and also, you know, I, I don't want to watch a movie beforehand and then, yeah. you know, screen yeah. a movie before my kids. Yeah. So it's nice to have that guideline. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But in this in this instance, I see. But I don't know that Chris Columbus is too worried about that being the fact that he casted his own wife to play the hooker. Which de- <laughs> she's Devereaux. Did you, did you know that? Oh yeah, yeah, she's Her Devereaux. That, that was Devereaux. Whole, yeah, so the whole street street scene. Oh, I should say that was one of the things that confused me as a kid. That I'm glad that I cleared up by watching it again 30 years after that because it always threw me. Was when they throw out their switchblades one at a time. They say, "Here goes Jackson. Here goes Jefferson." One thing, you know, it's it's a it's a black gang versus an Hispanic gang, and the Hispanic gang is like, why is his name Jefferson? That doesn't make sense from from a name <laughs> sequence. Because I thought they were saying their own names, calling yeah. out, yeah, okay, I'm Jackson, okay, I'm Jefferson. Why are you Jefferson? And then he says his name Jeff Devereaux. I thought you were Jackson. <laughs> why are you <laughs> now Devereaux? Now you're those are street names. So right. they say, okay, as the train is crossing oh, over to a new turf, uh, you naive. <laughs> So you naive stupid. country bumpkin. You don't <laughs> know turf bumpkin. wars. 
<laughs> you got across the street before we you had really turf wars yeah. in my part of the county. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't see how that. This really is my hog somebody. plot. <laughs> you cross the turnip field into the hog trough. Now you're gonna get, get sad. Stepping. <laughs> There, so. go, there goes potato. <laughs> there goes carrot. <laughs> All right, so I, I got to ask, though, I mean, how do you cast your own wife? Hey, you know, I got a role for you in my movie. That's my directorial debut. Are they still I married? Some strings. I pulled some strings, got you a nice, juicy role. It's even a speaking line. Oh, yeah, who do I play? Do I play the friend that is stranded? At? No, 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 that had to go to Bill William Miller. Well, who am I? Well, you're the whore. The whore. You know, like before we met. <laughs> that ran off at 17. And now remember yeah, before yeah. we met? <laughs> I can't imagine that going too well, you know? And you're also the, the street that the two gangs fight right. over before they start stabbing one another. Hey, what did because you're a whore. I mean, <laughs> won't that be sweet? It's your. your, your, your it's like that old joke about the guy who... Uh, thank you who is more clean- here, I think. <laughs> Let's not forget my thank you. The guy who cleans up poop for the circus, and they ask him why you know, why he, he doesn't you know, find a better job, and he goes, what, quit show business? <laughs> yeah. She, she gets to be, oh, so... I wonder if they're still married. I didn't look up that part. I just yeah. looked up the stupid trivia, not the like... Yeah, yeah, right. I'd, yeah. Who cares? Who cares if they're still married or not? That really doesn't play into it. I think it's just the fact that they, you, you made that casting choice. But anyway, so so that's where I am. I mean, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this this movie. Uh, there's a lot of neat little things to, to pick into it, but for me, it, it was really the same sentiment that I had when I was watching it as an eight year old. Which is, you know, again, I, I still love to this day. Making potty jokes and, and and you know I mean <laughs> they're not they're a little more refined I guess they're a little more well yeah I mean this is me this is my sense of humor you slip me the cash and I'll slip you the wiener <laughs> I mean to, to it's this still day, funny it's still funny wiener still a great word <laughs> I uh, I did clip one yeah. um one thing that reminded me of you oh uh, it's, it's the it's the bad guy, oh, the uh, bad guy. He, he's looking for uh, information okay. I don't know why it reminds me of you. <laughs> that really bothers me. Like, what does that say? <laughs> you know something. Well, it's mostly because this is what you would do if you're, like, playing, playing, a, a horsing around after too many beverages, if you will. And then um, I had one last clip, and okay. this is an homage um, that... Uh, translates from this film yeah. into uh, two other films you mentioned with Elizabeth Shue, mm-hmm. uh, and it c- comes up twice more um, after this in the Back to the Future 2 and 3 okay. when she's playing Jennifer, and it's the same line. <sighs> I had the worst nightmare. Right, right. The so exact same line. The exact same line. starts with Adventures in Babysitting. That has, it has to be purposeful, right? I, you'd have to think. But yeah, that, that one throws me a little bit, because who's making that call? I mean, is it the screenwriter? Well, it, it came up in, um, I mean, that was established in the first Back to the Future with, you know, when Marty wakes up and it's, right. you know, I had the worst dream. I right. think Jennifer even does the same thing. Because yeah. there's two Jennifers. You know, right, Jennifer right, right. in the first movie yeah. is different than Elizabeth. Second Shane and third, yeah. And the second and third. And, and 
that might have just been an homage. Oh, did you know that the the yeah, right, so we, we mentioned uh, Maya, the, the, the who plays Sarah, the younger sister. Yes, she played. She was actually in the first Back to the Future. Yes, she was the uh, Lorraine's sister in the nineteen right. fifties. Yeah, yeah, in the, in the early. Yeah. And so you have uh, she's in Back to the Future. Lucas Shoes in Back right. to the Future, and then you have uh, the Marvel connection, and then you had the um, the connection with. Um, <laughs> oh well, couldn't have been that. Big couldn't have been that that big of a that big of a deal. Couldn't even remember uh, what the connection was uh, between this and, and the other movies. And I don't think there was anything else. I mean, between Home Alone and and everything else that um, Chris Columbus ended up directing. I, I still like Home Alone. Oh, uh, I don't know if you've seen it recently. I watched it um, two Christmases ago um, and had a great time watching it. And we'd gone to see it in the theater um, when I was a kid. I think that came out in the, the summertime. Like I think that was the first time I realized that they put movies out. Now, hear me out. Wait a minute. You're looking at me crazy, because it is a Christmas movie. I think right. it came out, if I remember correctly, that it came out in the summertime. I mean, you're going to look it up. Oh, well, yeah. Here, here goes the Google. But I think it came out in the summertime because they wanted it ready for Christmas release on VHS. Okay. And I think that was the, the rationale. And I could be totally wrong. And maybe <laughs> Let's find out yes. how stupid you really are. Let's go to the tape. November 16th. I don't think that's quite summer there, Dave. <laughs> Everything you have just said was a lie. Was wrong. The, the, the opposite of you know, you know, you know nothing. nothing. No, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> Yeah, that that I could see. That sounds more like end of podcast. We're done. So I guess it comes down to our uh, our time to to recommend yeah. rate this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have uh, skip it, skip it, stream it, mm-hmm. uh, watch it. Well, yeah, rent it or rent buy it, it, rent it, it so yeah, like so skip it, stream it. We should probably write that. We down. should probably write these down. <laughs> skip it, uh, stream it, yeah. rent it, buy it. Yeah, or no, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's like, okay, no, no, I'm sorry, we, we missed one. It's it's skip it, uh, stream it, catch it if it's like on TV or something like that, you know, and then and, you know, maybe it does it backwards, but anyway, and it's, for me, regardless what the hell it is, go out and watch this fucking movie. You're exactly. It's fucking great. It's on Netflix. Um, they I say would, fuck twice in it, man. It's, it's twice in the twice. same movie. It's and you can wiener. <laughs> It's and great. then you have no wiener. <laughs> That's right. It's great. I loved everything about it. It's it the the editing is snappy. The music's great, despite not having anything to do with Chicago. It's still great songs. Uh, you, you got Elizabeth Shue dancing around in her underwear right from the start. So if you can't get into that, go fuck yourself. Exactly. And, I mean, it's just it's a lot of fun. It, the, the, the 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 casting is perfect. Everybody's got witty dialogue. It's a fun movie. Now, is it something you watch with the kids? For me, all right, so my kids are now uh, eight and almost now. ten. Yeah, almost ten. I, that's if you, if you go with your parents' sensibilities, yeah, they're yeah. perfect. No, they're, they're ready. They're, they're, they're <laughs> golden. They, they were ready a couple years ago. But for me, I'm waiting a little bit longer. You know, when you start, you know, like I said, there's a double fuck in there. I probably, I don't want to listen to this podcast either. You know? Right. So, you know, for me, I'll probably wait a little bit. Uh, but for, if you have teenagers, teenagers, I can't see how you can't like this movie. Now, there's a lot of things that don't make sense in the cell phone so, so, era. Right. Th- you know? This movie is done in the age of cell phones. Yeah. Like, it's it's in but, credit cards. And, right, right. And, you know, we, we're a lot less cashless society. Exactly. Well, why didn't you just call Uber? Yeah. Right. That, you know, you, all right, yeah, okay. But you transport yourself back a little bit. It's a lot of fun, man. Well, and it, it's a stuff. reminder of what how much serendipity there was in the 80s and 90s with 
without debit cards, yeah. without cell phones, yeah. without, I mean, you had to figure shit a out. A little bit phone. of racism, you know? A little <laughs> bit of racism. <laughs> you know? a little yeah. racism. Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. <laughs> I got a, we got a friend. I'm waiting to play that yeah. for. Until you win them over with your little witty song and dance, you know, and then they're friendly. A little soft shoe. <laughs> a little soft shoe action. And yeah. like, oh, oh they're like people too. <laughs> I mean, it's a, all right, so it's a little Learning racist. opportunity. <laughs> Just a little, it's all right. Yeah, a little racist. Yeah, it's all right. That's okay. You know, you, you transport yourself back. That's what it was in the 80s. The 80s were a little racist, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but you get past it. There's a lot of there's a lot of good things in the movie. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's You're not going to have your life changed. But for me, this is an obvious go out of your way to see it. You stream it today. And it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's on it's Netflix. Netflix. I would stream it. I don't think you need to own it. But, yeah, you go out of your way and you watch this thing because it's, it's worth a night. Well, and, and, and to rent it, if it's on Amazon, when, yeah. when it, if it leaves it at Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, if it's two ninety nine on, on uh, Amazon after yeah. this or yeah. on iTunes or whatever. That's barely more than the cost of a hot dog. Surely you can right. sign over a check. <laughs> to get that worked out. I won't play it again. You I want, want to. I want to. You want to. But so I won't bad. do it. I won't. I'll, I'll keep my finger <laughs> off the trigger. Um, so, yeah, I think we're both in the um, yeah. you know, stream it, lean and rent it. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably firmly in the rent it. I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, absolutely. I didn't remember. Uh, and I'm glad, we, I'm glad I <laughs> falsely picked this one. Um, <laughs> so that's it um, for this episode. Uh, we'll uh, kick it back off again with our next episode. I think we're going to bring in some uh, – try to bring in a guest on the uh, – one yeah um we also have uh twitter follow us at uh sp movie hour on twitter uh we also uh, uh encourage your feedback we are short pants podcast at gmail.com if you uh, have suggestions on what, what you want to hear what maybe. you want to hear right. which you know movie that you watched as a kid you want to hear me <laughs> they don't, they don't want to notebook. hear you drop your <laughs> notebook um but yeah there's something you liked as a as a kid um you know that um, it's likely that we you know we share that common bond of 80s nostalgia um, so again, shortpantspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're working on the website, working on a couple of things for you. We're uh, enjoying the hell out of doing these. Uh, so we'd appreciate any feedback, five-star reviews if you like it, you know, and, and be honest with take us. Take a four. And we'll take a four. Take a four. We'll take a four. And so, um, as always, we uh, appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time. What do you think about my little pants? 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 What do you think about my little shirt? What do you think about my tennis clothes? What do you think about my little coat? What do you think about my big belly? About my big belly? Oh, oh. Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. Get out of my house!